we are now reading about the life of Rehoboam, who is the son of Solomon, and Solomon, the life of Solomon was just a spectacular uh, amount of prosperity at the time. We read multiple time, times there in uh, the life of Solomon that silver was accounted as nothing in his days. There was just so much gold everywhere. And he died. His son Rehoboam took his place. We saw in chapter 10 that the people of the land, the last however many years, five to ten years of Solomon's life, he left the Lord and he really imposed a great burden on the people. He had lots of building projects and they were really made with um, uh, more or less slave labor. Unfortunately, many of the great buildings, even many of the great buildings in, in, in Europe and in cathedrals, these types of things, and, um, it was very um, tough labor conditions uh, that's my understanding. And for Solomon, it was absolutely the case. And so his, his labor force, um, there were hundreds of thousands to, of them, and they came to Solomon's son and said, uh, hey, we're willing to serve you, but lighten our load. And he, Rehoboam, consulted the advisors of Solomon, older men, and they said, yeah, you, you need to do that. You need to lighten the load. I think Solomon was living in such a way that he was making a lot of people very nervous. Unfortunately, none of them were willing to really get in his face and say, hey, man, you're wrong. But now he was out of the way. They were willing to tell his son, listen, you need to lighten the load. But then he went with his drinking buddies that he grew up with. And they said, what do you think? And they said, no way, don't lighten the load. Tell, go back and tell them it's going to be harder on you. Who are you to be asking the king to lighten your load? And uh, that is um, what he said to the people. He said, I'm not going to lighten your load. I'm going to make your load even heavier. And 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel left. They bolted. And um, under a new king, King Jeroboam. And uh, that's where we uh, left off last week, where um, he, he's, he was basically, they left him, and then, and then he, he somehow, in a delusion, sends his tax collector up to the ten tribes, and they killed him. And apparently he went with his tax collector and he realized what he was going on and um, he came back to Jerusalem. That's where we pick up in chapter 11. It says, now when Rehoboam, keep in mind this is Solomon's son, came to Jerusalem, he assembled from the house of Judah and Benjamin 180,000 chosen men who were warriors to fight against Israel, meaning the northern ten tribes who had just bolted under king, uh, a new king, and made themselves a new king, King Jeroboam, to fight against Israel, that he might restore the kingdom to Rehoboam. So he wanted to reunite the ten tribes with the southern tribes. But the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah, the man of God, saying, verse 3, Speak to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, and to all Israel and Judah and Benjamin, saying, Thus says the Lord, you shall not go up and fight against your brethren. Let every man return to me to his house, for this thing is from me. Meaning the, the separation of Israel into two countries came from the Lord. The Lord did it because of the rebellion of Solomon. Solomon followed after the gods of his um, foreign wives, even sacrificing his own children. And so um, the Lord came through a prophet 
to this man Jeroboam during the reign of Solomon says, I'm going to give you 10 tribes. When Solomon dies, I'm going to give them to you. So it was from the Lord. And this prophet shows up and tells uh, Rehoboam, who wants to try to you, you reunite the, the country, no, don't do it. Don't, don't bother with this war um, because it's from the Lord. Uh, middle of verse 4, Therefore they obeyed the words of the Lord and turned back from attacking Jeroboam. So Rehoboam dwelt in Jerusalem and built cities um, for defense in Judah. You know, before I go on there, notice in, at the beginning of chapter 11 here, it doesn't say anything about, uh, it doesn't say anything about Rehoboam seeking the Lord. It doesn't ask him, um, you know, uh, whether he, uh, it doesn't say what, that he prayed to the Lord. Can you imagine how hard it is to mobilize 180,000 men into an army? Do you, do you, do you know, can you imagine 180,000 people leaving their homes and coming to Jerusalem and mobilizing into an army and all the food that the cooks have to prepare and the sanitation that needs to happen for 180,000? Can you imagine that? How much trouble have you brought people around you recently because you did not pray to the Lord? You didn't pray to the Lord about something. And as a result, a ton of work was done where all you needed to do was go to the Lord and say, hey Lord, this is a good idea, but it's, is it God's idea? It was a good idea in the natural for him to be reuniting Israel. Come on, this is Israel. It was established under Saul. And uh, David, the first king of the line of the Messiah, was. this is a good, a good idea. And so many times we have good ideas and we just launch out. I've done that way more times than I can think of. But then I, did, I didn't pray about it, and I made a whole lot of people around me do a whole lot of work. 180,000 people he has to send home. Now, to his credit, he obeyed the prophet and sent everyone home. Probably had to pay him. Would have saved a lot of money if he had just sought the Lord in the first place. Your good idea may not be God's idea. You need to pray about it. Verse 5 again, So Rehoboam dwelt in Jerusalem and built cities for defense in Judah, and he built Bethlehem, Edom, Tekoa, Bethzur, Succoth, Adullam, Gath, Mereshath, Ziphs, Adoram, Lachish, Azekah, Zorah, Ajilim, and Hebron, which are in Judah and Benjamin, fortified cities. So a fortified city is a city that they just... Um, they, uh, they fortified them, meaning they would put gates there, they would put guards there, they would put um, munition, ammunition, this kind of thing, uh, they would fortify them. Verse 11, he fortified the strongholds, put captains in them, stores of food, oil, and wine. Also in every city he put shields and spears and made them very strong, having Judah and Benjamin on his side. Now, this is very interesting, these next few verses. And from all their territories, the priests and Levites who were in all Israel took their stand with him, for the Levites left their common lands and their possessions and came to Judah and Jerusalem, for Jeroboam and his sons had rejected them from serving as priests to the Lord, then he appointed for himself priests for the high places, um, for the demons, and for the calf idols which he had made. Now, what's going on there? Well, you may know from First Kings that when Jeroboam left with the ten tribes and formed the northern kingdom, God had promised them. He said, I will make you uh, your own kingdom. 
I will bless you in your own kingdom, just, but you need to follow me. Instead, what he did in the north, he was like, I don't know, I don't want my people in these ten kingdoms to be going down to Jerusalem three times a year, as they're required to do in the law of Moses. I'm just going to make my own Jerusalems up here. And he made two Jerusalems, one in Dan, one in Bethel, and said to the people, now go to those cities. Nowhere in the law of Moses was, is that allowed. God had said, I'm going to establish a place for my name. That's where I want you to go. But on top of that, in each of those two cities, Dan and Bethel, he put a golden calf. He didn't bother reading the scripture about what happened last time they built a golden calf. And he said... That's the God, these two golden calves, that's who took you out of the land of Egypt. Um, worship them. On top of that, he made up his own religious feasts. So the religious feasts that the Passover, the um, Feast of Tabernacles, these feasts that were in the law of Moses, he scrapped all those, made up his, um, uh, made up his new, uh, a new bunch of feasts. In addition to that, he basically appointed as priest anybody who wanted it. Instead of the Levites and the sons of Aaron who were the only ones who were specified in the law of Moses. So what it says here is the Levites were left, this guy, this king, is not following the law of the land. Let's get out of these ten tribes and go back. And go back just go to, go to um, Judah and Benjamin. What I think is so significant here, I tell you, it just grieves my heart um, the, the way that uh, when people, Jesus says you cannot serve God and money, mammon. Uh, you cannot do it. Either you're going to love one and hate the other. And here, it's, it, this is a, a great verse. Just, it says in verse 14, they left the common lands in their possession. They left everything. Sometimes to obey the Lord, you've got to leave. You, gotta, you may have to leave a job that's requiring you to compromise. There are once or twice when I, when I was um, at work where I needed to tell the Lord, if, if these folks continue to do what they're doing, I'm, I'm going to leave. <laughs> and, and, and fortunately, I, 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 I told them, listen, you can't do this anymore, and they changed their practice. But, but you, you ha there may be times in your life where you have to leave. And, 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 and here they left, they weren't going to stay in this place where their, their leader was scrapping and making up his own religion. Don't be surprised when you're out there and you're just finding on the streets of Boston different religions. I shared with a couple, uh, a few of you in Franklin Park a little while ago, I asked a guy, I said, um, um, I, I said, uh, if you were to die today, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? He said, of course I am. I'm black. And I said, well, you know, what are you talking about? And he goes, um, I'm black, and Jesus was black, and, you know, it was this whole religion about basically the only real Christians are black. And, you know, that's a, a couple of you, I've talked to you about it, that's a well-established religion in the black community that just someone just came up with the idea uh, and, and he went on to say by the way he said that that's why black people are so oppressed because Christians they uh, real Christians um, he calls himself a real Jew but he, he, he he's the, the only real Jew um, who, who are Christians, and, and that's why they're persecuted, because they are black. So they've made up their whole own religion. And, a lot, and, and I've talked to some of the young black folks in the church, and they, 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 they've, you know, over time, um, people have tried to lure them into this thing in the black, in the black community. But this is what happens. It's not that hard to make up your own religion. Jeroboam did it. But these faithful men and women who we will 
be able to commune with someday in heaven or in the millennial kingdom who left the common lands in their possession in order because it was clear that their leader was leading the land into idolatry. It says in verse 15, then he appointed for himself priests for the high places for the demons. He's speaking about Jeroboam. Remember, in the south, it's Rehoboam. That's with an R. In the north, it's Jeroboam with a J. And Jeroboam in the north, just, it says he appointed for himself priests for the demons, it says. Now, that word demon, there are some things, including the whole concept of the afterlife in heaven, by the way, that's not fully developed until the New Testament. The book of Timothy, it says, um, Jesus brought, the gospel brought, um, that, uh, bought truth to the light. Demons and the devil is another thing. That it, not too many times in the Old Testament you read about either Satan or demons. You do from time to time. Demons are only mentioned four times uh, in, the, uh, in the Old Testament. Now, for you, um, for you Bible nerds like me, I'm a Bible nerd, uh, the first time ever was in Leviticus chapter 17, verse 7, where Moses told the people, you shall, know, you shall know or the Israelites shall no more offer the sacrifices to demons. And the word there is shaggy goats which was an Egyptian deity. Only four times in the Old Testament is the word demon or demons used. Twice it's this word shaggy goats, which was an Egyptian deity. And twice there's another word uh, that is used, uh, including the one here, I believe, which is... Um, the name of a, an Assyrian or a Babylonian deity. Now, of course, in the New Testament, all over the place, demons, demonic spirits um, um, are, are mentioned there. Um, but only four places in the Old Testament is the, word, the, is the word demon or demons even mentioned. And this is one of them. It says, and after the Levites left, verse 16, those from all the tribes of Israel, such as set their heart to seek the Lord God of Israel, came to Jerusalem to sacrifice to the Lord God of their fathers. So, I mean, this is, this is really strengthening the South. So the king is not the greatest. It's Rehoboam is not exactly the greatest king. But the, but the two tribes in the south are being loaded with people who really love the Lord. <laughs> They're coming down to Jerusalem and because they can't live anymore in this environment. And so the south is, is really, it says they strengthened the kingdom of Judah. We just had an election here. And it just grieves my heart to no end when uh, Christians become overly enthusiastic or even fanatic about politics because that's not what's going to strengthen the nation. I, I think we should be responsible citizens, be involved. We should run for office. We should be involved in the political process. But it grieves my spirit to no end. And there's a whole theology now, by the way, that's raging out there. I literally have people on a regular basis send me videos trying to convince me to th that really voting in the right political party is, what, is really what God wants happening in the United States of America. No, it's revival. Why was this place strengthened? Verse 7 in the, in the south. Because all the people, verse 16, who had set their heart to seek the Lord were migrating there. It's the hearts of the people in this country that need to be changed. In the, mean, in the meantime, we should research the social issues and the other issues and we should, whatever, be voting our conscience and how the Lord tells us to vote. But we should be praying for revival. I was in the woods today just praying for revival 
praying that New England, instead of being the tail, the spiritual tail in this country, will be the spiritual head. It's, it's the only way it's going to be strengthened, our country. It's interesting. They made Rehoboam the son of Solomon strong for three years. It, it, it wasn't him. It wasn't really anything about him. We'll read, uh, we'll, we'll read about that. It was the people who came into his kingdom. So there's been presidents of this country who have, uh, over, you know, in the last 250 years, who have not been Christians, born again, regenerate. They called themselves Christians. Every, every president has called himself Christian except one, President Taft, um, who was in the early 1900s. He was a, uh, a Unitarian who are not Christians. And, um, but they, but they, they, they we had, we've had presidents who were, were not, were not what I would call regenerate Christians, but they, they were strengthened tremendously because of different revivals that took place at, at various times in this country. And that's exactly what happened to this guy, Jeroboam. Now we're going to see, after, after a while, he thinks it's him. And he's going to fall into pride, and he's going to, he, he's going to um, get into a lot of trouble. He thinks it's him. It has nothing to do with him. It's because people, spiritual people, left the northern ten um, tribes and came down. And, and brothers and sisters, that's how this country is going to be strong again. It's going to be the result of a, a revival, which I, 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 it's not just positive thinking on my part. I really believe it's coming. Verse 18, Rehoboam took for himself as wife Mahaloth, the daughter of Jeremoth, the son of David, and of Abihail, the son of Eli, the son of Jesse. And she bore him children, Jewish, Shemariah, and Zaham. And after he took Makkah, the granddaughter of Absalom, which probably meant she was a complete knockout because Absalom was... An absolute gorgeous man, the Bible says. And she bore him Abijah, Atai, Ziza, and Shalemeth. Now Rehoboam loved Makkah, the granddaughter of Absalom, more than all his wives and concubines, for he took 18 wives and 68 concubines and begot 28 sons and 60 daughters. Now, that was a lot better than Solomon, right, his father. It still was not good. The Bible says, do not multiply wives. Any king is not allowed, forbidden in Deuteronomy 17, from multiplying wives. He's doing that here, but he's nothing like his father who had 700 wives and 300 concubines. And, and, and just, you know, it, polygamy is never looked upon favorably. People say, well, why in the Bible does God not condemn it? He allows it for a season as he's, pull, he's gradually bringing them back to the fullness of what a follower of God is. By the time we reach in the New Testament, it's prohibited. But... Um, but, you know, it's, it's never looked upon favorably. And here, you know, you, you see he's favoring one wife or over another. And you can only imagine what that does to a woman's heart, that her husband favors another woman in the home. Of course, we saw that with Leah and Rachel under Jacob. And that was a big mess if there ever was one. But that's another sermon that was given a couple years ago. Verse 22, and Rehoboam appointed Abijah, the son of Makkah, as chief to be the leader among his brothers, for he intended to make him king. He dealt wisely and dispersed some of his sons throughout all the territories of Judah and Benjamin. To every fortified city, he gave them provisions in abundance. He also sought many wives for them. Chapter 12. Now it came to pass when Rehoboam had established the kingdom and had strengthened himself, which we've already read about, had nothing to do with him. It had to do with the godly men and women who lived in his country, that he forsook, forsook the law of the Lord and all Israel along with him. So a lot of people were following, followed him. He was strong. This time of, there was a time of great prosperity 
And when he, he, he grew strong, he just looked around and, and, and felt it just gave him a freedom and a liberty to basically do whatever he wanted to do. He started following other gods. And it says, you know, the reason it's important to, to have good leadership is because people follow leaders. <laughs> and I tell people from time to time, don't be in the food court, people on the ministry team, don't be in the food court after the service has started because people will follow you there. <laughs> if you're on the ministry team, you're a leader. And people will follow you and they will start. And meanwhile, the worship team is in the worship service, leading a worship service, and there's people out in the food court. A leader is a leader because people follow leaders. And they followed them. And that's why in the New Testament, in 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus, there's... there's um, there's requirements for, for elders, for leaders of church, that they be above reproach because people will follow an elder whether it's his example for good or if it's for bad, they'll follow him. They'll start doing the same stuff. I was talking, but, but anyway, he had, he had gotten into this time of great prosperity and he couldn't take the prosperity. Uh, you know, I think it was Richard Wormbrand who said he and I quote this, I'm, I'm, I apologize for, to all of you who have heard me say this many times before, but they asked Richard Wormbrand, who was um, a prisoner, he was Romanian, and he was, he was a, a prisoner, he was Romanian, I think Lutheran pastor, and he was, the Soviets in Romania arrested him, and he was tortured for Christ. And if you've never read Tortured for Christ, that's one of those required reading books. I mean, you've got to read Tortured for Christ. And they asked him, in, in America, is, will Amer would America, would the American church um, survive uh, persecution? He said, oh, I'm sure they would. The question is whether they're going to um, survive prosperity. And... Uh, it's, it, was a, it was a great statement, and it's something I think about all the time. Today I was on the phone with Pastor Serge for about an hour. He's in Haiti. And um, it is just so bad there. The gangs have carved up territory all around Port-au-Prince, and he, he's been a prisoner in his own home for the past six weeks and he literally uh, he has 60 students who live with him on a compound and they literally had to sneak the students out to get them into a safer part of the city through six different six different trips in a little top top which is those those vans that um, carry people and they had to take back roads and he said it was just so stressful he could barely take it he doesn't care about his own life He's just caring about the students. And uh, very little food, always wondering where the, where the next food was from. He's, been, from. he's been held up at gunpoint a couple times just trying to go out and do a couple errands, so he just stopped doing errands. They're going to have to move the orphanage, which is currently there, back into the city, and they're going to have to move the whole college back into the city if something doesn't change within the next two months. And I was just... You know, I, 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 it's so bad there. We, I used to go, I went two, two or three times a year for 12 or 13 years. He hasn't let me go in the last, um, you know, in the last two years. They see a white face there. You're kidnapped. You're, you're done. And then I, I become a burden to them rather than a blessing. And two of their elders have been kidnapped. It's, it's, it's very very sad, but it just makes me think all the more. And I just, I'm burdened all the time. What are we doing with our prosperity? Are we surviving? Are we being faithful in our prosperity? And I always tell people, look, in your prosperity, if you start making money, you better be doing at least two things so you continue to see the hand of the Lord. You better be giving a lot and you better be out sharing your faith. <laughs> Otherwise, um, 
you may stop seeing the hand of the Lord in your life. I tell you, it's a humbling thing, evangelizing. The other day, by the way, I, um, I just I felt some pride seeping into my life. <laughs> and I said, okay, I, I know what to do with it. I'm going to go out and witness to someone. <laughs> and sure enough, I went out and, uh, I, I went out and uh, I, I was sharing the Lord with someone. I got just so totally rejected. It was great. My, all my pride went away <laughs> immediately. Um, but uh, uh, it really does do it when you're in this time of prosperity. Make sure you're just doing what the Bible tells you to do and you can stay in a humble place. Giving sacrificially and sharing your faith will keep you in a humble place uh, in times of prosperity. But it says... It says, after he was strengthened, verse 1, he forsook the law. Verse 2, and it happened in the fifth year of King Rehoboam that Shishak, king of Egypt, Shishak, not to be confused with Meshach from Daniel. Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem because they had transgressed against the Lord with 1,200 chariots, 60,000 horsemen, and people without number who came with him out of Egypt, the Lubim, the Sukim, and the Ethiopians. Here we are in an Ethiopian church. But in this case, they were coming against um, Israel. And he took the fortified cities of Judah and came to Jerusalem. Then Shemaiah the prophet came to Rehoboam and the leaders of Judah who were gathered together in Jerusalem because of Shishak and said to them, Thus says the Lord, You have forsaken me and therefore I have also left you in the hand of Shishak. So the leaders of Israel and the king humbled themselves and they said, The Lord is righteous. I really like this because I, I'm, in my own Bible study, I'm, I'm just a little bit ahead here in Second Chronicles, and it says that King Ahaz, the more his enemies defeated him, the more he violated the law of God. <laughs> but here, say whatever else you may want to say about Rehoboam, he, he was not a good king, but he, he repents. It says in verse 7, when the Lord saw that they humbled themselves, the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah saying, they have humbled themselves, therefore I will not destroy them, but I will grant them some deliverance. My wrath shall not be poured out on Jerusalem by the hand of Shishak. Nevertheless, they will be his servants that they may distinguish my service from the service of the kings of the nation. So what that means there is for a while, I'm going to make them servants of this, of this king, this pharaoh, Shishak, and then they can compare what it was like between serving me and serving uh, this foreign king. So they'll learn. The Lord will do this in his great mercy for a while. He will show us the difference between serving him and serving someone else. But I, 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 I really like that that it says they humbled themselves, verse 6, and, and they just said the Lord is righteous. You know, it is a wonderful thing when, when a Christian has just terrible things happen in their life after a season of rebellion, and they just admit it. I have people come to me all the time, and their lives are a mess, and I don't know what the percentage is, but a lot of them come to me, and they're like, blaming everyone and everything else on the mess which is their life. But some people will come and say, the Lord is righteous. And oh, does that make my heart sore. That's S-O-R-E, not S-O-A-R. It's just, it's just so encouraging to see someone who really repents and just says, the Lord's righteous. He is righteous, and it could be so much worse. We deserve hell. We deserve death. And the fact that he preserves us by chastening us, the Lord's righteous. It's so, it's so important whenever 
there's something in your life that happens, some like big time trauma, it is important to say, Lord, is there something that I've done that has caused this? Even though, you know, that's what real humility is. Even though at first you may not see or see anything, it's really good just to humble yourself and just say, Lord, is there anything? Sometimes there's nothing. You lived a righteous life. David, 10 of the hardest years of his life, he was living a righteous life. But man, the Lord was bringing him through incredible hardship. Right the 10 years prior to becoming king where Saul was persecuting him. But other times, like you have here, the Lord chastens because of sin. He says, the Lord is righteous. Verse 9, so Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem and took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. He took everything. Now, if you were here the last couple of weeks and you, you read all about the gold that Solomon brought in, remember? Six, six, six. 666 talents of gold every year. Now, why that number, I do not know, but that's, how, that's the year. That's the amount of gold he brought in, and an enormous amount of gold. And one generation, it's all taken away. One generation. And it's the thing about men, when, when, when you were, um, when, when someone is... Um, in a place of grace, prosperity, that we get this idea that we're indestructible. But it takes so little for the Lord just to take it all away when pride comes in. And it says he also carried away the gold shields which Solomon had made in verse 9. And those gold shields, they've always fascinated me. Uh, in, in verse 15 and 16 of Second Chronicles 9, it says that Solomon made 200 large shields of gold, and then I guess 300 other shields of hammered gold, which were smaller shields. 500 gold shields. What do you do with a 500 gold shields? They were all taken away. And verse 10, there's something so sad about verse 10. It says, King Rehoboam made bronze shields in their place. It's like, these are like ornamental things. And now he's trying to, he's trying to play king here. He's trying to play grandeur. He's trying to, it's just about, in my opinion, it's the uh, approval of men. Why do I say that? Well, it goes on to say, he made bronze shields in their place and committed them to the hands of the captains of the guard who guarded the doorway of the king's house. And whenever the king entered the house of the Lord, the guard would go out and bring them out. They would take them back into the guard room. In other words, it was just a procession. It was just vanity. But I gotta tell you this, the Christian life is, it's the gold standard. I was so blessed by Eric Burke's wedding. I, he is a guy who has faithfully served the church for whatever, 15 years. And um, I've seen him stay with the Lord in spite of, in, in circumstances that I've seen so many other people um, just go astray. His, he was just single for a long time. I think he was 46, I'm not sure. When he, when he finally got married for the first time. And um, just to see the glory of God descend on that wedding. I mean, that was serious glory. <laughs> and uh, it was so encouraging to me because I've seen so many single folks. And, I, and, and it's easy for me to say I got married when I was very young. So it's, so it's very easy for me to say but just to see him walk faithfully as a single man for so long. But, you know, I, I talked to him right before the ceremony. He was by himself reading his Bible, and, and I just, 
you know, the one thing that came to me about Eric is about that whole wedding that happened is, is, is the Lord is... The Lord is a debtor to no man. He will repay so much more than you ever give him. <laughs> just, and, and, and man, did he repay at that wedding. It was just a beautiful thing. It's the gold standard. What you saw if you attended that wedding, that's the gold standard. And, and uh, it was a beautiful thing to see. But now, you know, now it's bronze, um, which is very, in a way, it's sad. Um, Verse 12, when he humbled himself, the Lord, the, the, the wrath of the Lord turned uh, from him so as to not destroy him completely, and things also went well in Judah. Thus King Rehoboam strengthened himself in Jerusalem and reigned. Now Rehoboam was 41 years old when he became king, and he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city which the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. You know, I think about that a lot. Why is it today that God's name is in every church in all the world? It's the most wonderful thing. I've been all over the world. <laughs> and uh, I'm done with traveling. I'm not, I mean, I'm, I'm done with traveling to, to, to places that, uh, well, I really like want to go to this place. I'm not like that anymore. I just, I, I go where there's missions. But, um, Everywhere, there's people who love the Lord. It's the most wonderful thing. I've been to these remote places in, in, in these remote provinces in China, and there's people who love the Lord there. God's name is there. But in the Old Testament, he picked one place, Jerusalem. It says to put his name. And it was because, and I've often asked, well, why is the reason for that? The reason for that is because Again, it's this progressive revelation thing where he's gathering the world. Um, the, the, at the time of Abraham where he established Israel, the world's the knowledge of God had been completely cut off. He's slowly bringing the world back to himself through the Jews and for this season of time to prevent corruption, to prevent people going to the high places, which they did, and just doing their own religious stuff and, and, and religion... Um, you know, just the, 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 the five books of the Bible, the, what I'll call the true religion of Jehovah being corrupted in places outside of, um, of Jerusalem. He chose just Jerusalem to do it. For this season of time, now, in the, um, as soon as Jesus died, in Matthew, in the book of Matthew, chapter 27, that as soon as he died, the next verse is that the veil was torn in two, and the temple of the um, temple of God becomes human beings <clears throat> soon thereafter. Technically, I guess you would call the, Pente the Pentecost. Although Jesus says, "Breathe into the disciples" in the last second, the last chapter of John. But, but, and 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 then the temple moves to all over the world where he puts his name. But at this time, it was just, just Jerusalem. And it was to prevent corruption, and a proof was in the pudding that uh, when the religious center moved to another place like the north, the whole thing was just corrupted, um, which happened in the northern ten tribes. His mother's name, end of verse 13, was Nama, an Ammonitess, and he did evil because he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. Believe me, there's a connection there between the fact that his mother was an Ammonitess who were not worshipers of Jehovah. She's just one of Solomon's many, many wives. He married foreign women who worshiped foreign gods, and no doubt he grew up in a house, well, under the influence of a mother who uh, worshiped foreign gods. And I just say it all the time, parents, moms, dad, the most important thing for your children to see is an authentic Christian life lived by you. If they are seeing you as a hypocrite, 
you go to church and you're one person and you go home and you're a different, expect them to rebel. Expect them to. Doesn't mean they will, will, will because God may have mercy, but there can be an expectation of rebellion. And so that was his mother, an Ammonitess. Verse 15, the acts of Rehoboam first and last. Are they not written in the book of Shemaiah the prophet and of Edo the seer concerning genealogy? And so there's these other books that are lost to history that they were not divinely inspired, but it's just um, a record here that this is a history book. And 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 end of verse 15, um, of verse 15 and there were wars between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all their days. I think about this verse a lot. This verse right there at the end, it's a half a verse. There were wars between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all, the, um, all their days. There's a couple of verses like that um, in the Old Testament. And the reason I think about it is when a person is, when, a, when there is a Christian who they got one foot in the world and one foot in the church, their life, they're just constant, their life is always being harassed by there's something about their life that's always falling apart. They're just being harassed by the, by the devil in a way that the devil's having victory in their life. I mean, the devil's going to harass you if you're living for him, but, but you're going to be harassed in such a way that the devil's going to be coming in just your whole life and taking away a bit here, a piece of land there, a city there, of your life, if you're living a double standard. And that's, and that's what this guy was like. It says there were wars between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all their days. So Rehoboam rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. Then Abijah, his son, reigned in his place. In the 18th year of King Jeroboam, Abijah became king over Judah. So Rehoboam's son was Abijah. He reigned three years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Micaiah, the daughter of Uriel of Gibeah, and there was war between Abijah and Jeroboam. So uh, this appears to be a war started by Jeroboam, although we're not sure here. But Rehoboam's son, Abijah, and Jeroboam in the north, um, who outlived Rehoboam, they, they, get into a, they get into a conflict here. And verse 3 says, Abijah set the battle in order with an army of valiant warriors. 400,000 choice men. Jeroboam also drew up in battle for formation against him with 800,000 choice men, mighty men of valor. Verse 4. Then Abijah stood on Mount Zemariam, which is in the mountains of Ephraim, and said, Hear me, Jeroboam and all Israel. So here's the king of the southern two tribes getting on top of a mountain and, and shouting out to the, this, this enemy. They're, they're cousins. They're related. They're all Jews. But he's shouting out to them. Verse 5, Should you not know that the Lord God of Israel gave the dominion over Israel to David forever, to him and his sons, by a covenant of salt. And he's just referring to the Mosaic covenant, the, the promise through Moses that, that Israel, the land that we know of Israel, was given to King David, who is um, the great-grandson of this man who's speaking the great-grandfather of the man who's speaking. Verse 6, Yet Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, the servant of Solomon, the son of David, rose up and rebelled against his Lord. Then worthless rogues gathered to him and strengthened themselves against Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. When Rehoboam was young and inexperienced, and could not withstand them. And now you think to withstand the kingdom of the Lord, which is in the hand of the son of David, and you are a great multitude, and you are, and with you are the golden calves which Jeroboam made for you as gods. 
Have you not cast out the priests of the Lord, the sons of Aaron and the Levites, and made for yourselves priests like the people of other lands, so that whoever comes to consecrate himself with a young bull and seven rams may be a priest of things that are not God's? But as for us, the Lord is our God. We have not forsaken him. The priests who minister to the Lord's are the sons of Aaron, and the Levites attend to their duties. And they burn to the Lord every morning and every evening, burnt sacrifices and sweet incense. They also set the showbread in order on the gold table in the lampstand of gold with its lamps to burn every evening. For we keep the command of the Lord God, but you have forsaken him. Now look. God himself is with us as our head and his priests with sounding trumpets to sound the alarm against you. O children of Israel, do not fight against the Lord God of your fathers for you shall not prosper. So what appears to be going on here is Jeroboam has gathered to fight the two tribes of the south and then the king, um, his name, he's, uh, he's Solomon's grandson, uh, David's great-grandson, his name is Abijah, is basically giving them a little history. You guys have gone up there to the north, and you have forsaken the worship of God. You've, you've kicked the priests out. You've made your own religious feasts. You, you, you have forsaken God. Don't come against us. God is with us, um, is, is what he says. Verse 13, but Jeroboam caused an ambush to go around behind them, so they were in front of Judah, and the ambush was behind them. And when Judah looked around, to their surprise, the battle line was on at both front and rear, and they cried out to the Lord, and the priest sounded the trumpets. Um, meaning Judah, which by the way had an army this, half the size of Jeroboam, who had forsaken the Lord, his army, they find out they're in the middle of them, and they're, and they're like, oh no, we're done. But they cried out to the Lord, it says. They cried out to the Lord. And it says um, that the men of Judah, verse 15, gave a shout, and as the men of Judah shouted, it happened that God struck Jeroboam and all Israel before Abijah and Judah. So God did something, we don't know what, to strike this army that was coming against Jerusalem and in the south. And it says, then Abijah and his people struck them with a great slaughter. 500,000 choice men of Israel fell slain. Thus the children of Israel we're talking about the northern tribe now who were in rebellion, were subdued at that time, and the children of Judah prevailed because they relied on the Lord God of their fathers. And so there's a couple things that I wanted you to, to, to take from this. One is that when, the, Abijah's, when Abijah is... Uh, giving this history at the beginning, trying to convince these 800,000 people and the people of the north not to come against them. Most of what he says is correct, that, um, that listen, uh, we're in the line of David, we're in the line of the Messiah, we are um, God's people, uh, and, um, but it's, it, it's interesting that he does say in verse 6 and 7 some things that are wrong. It says, Yet Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, the servant of Solomon, rose up and rebelled against his Lord. That's not what happened. God told Jeroboam that he was going to give him a kingdom because of Solomon's rebellion. And then in verse 7 it says, Then worthless rogues gathered to him. That's wrong too. They had simply gone to Rehoboam and said, hey, look, would you lighten the load? And Rehoboam basically cursed in their face, and so they left. And I say this just to say, so, so basically 80% of what is said is correct, but 20% is an exaggeration. And I just, I just say this to my own heart, and, and also just to you, you know, 
speak the truth. God doesn't need you to exaggerate in order for you to prevail. Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no, meaning just don't go overboard. Now, as it turns out, he won the battle anyway. God honored um, this, but um, he didn't need to exaggerate there. The other thing I really like about this story is that when they were in enormous amount of trouble, keep in mind there was two to one. They were outmanned two to one. The, the opposing army was twice as big as them, and they found themselves in the middle, and they were in big trouble. It says they cried out to the Lord and the priests sounded the trumpets. In other words, they didn't give up. It doesn't matter how bad things get, don't give up. Cry to the Lord. You know, I, uh, for one of the scripture memory nights, and I hope you sign up, 12 verses, December 9. But I memorized Psalm 116, and, and one of the things that it says in Psalm 116, it says this, it says, what shall I give to God because of all the good things he's given to me? And what do you think it says? It just says, I will lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. God is not hard to please. He just wants you to call upon his name. <laughs> what good things shall I do for all the good things God has done to me? Just call upon his name. Call upon his name. Psalm 51 says this. It says, In the day of trouble, uh, rather, Psalm 51, verse 15 says, Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and, and you shall glorify me. I, I, I've told this story before, too. That when I was newly married, I went down to Venezuela, where, where I had I had grown up on and off, and I was, my cousin picked me up, and he picked me up at the airport at like 10 at night, and then we had to go on a four-hour journey on a coastal road, and it was like a coastal highway, and at one point, he, there was, there was like construction on the road, but it wasn't happening because it was late at night, and there was a bunch of tires, and he hit water. And the car, traveling at a high speed, and I was with Stephanie, we didn't have kids, and the car started spinning, and we went over the median at a high speed backwards. And I'll never forget, Steph I said, this is done, we are dead. And I'll never forget, Stephanie just said, save us, Jesus. And the next thing you know, we're on the other side of the road, and we, 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 even though it was late at night, it was about one or two in the morning, we went right through a bunch of other cars because it was, it was a very well-traveled um, road. It was a coastal road that goes out to the eastern part of, of Venezuela. And uh, I'll never forget, there was a, there was a, we, we, we got out of the car, and as soon as we got out of the car, some people ran up to us, and they said, you gotta get out of here. This place is very dangerous. Um, but we're like, how can we? Because the car had gone over a medium backwards. The car was done. It couldn't go anywhere. And it was very, very odd because there was a car that did not hit us, and it, there, that was coming the other way that we went right by when we were traveling through traffic to go to the other. And, and the guy stopped, and his windshield had completely shattered. One of those things where it turns into like a thousand little balls of glass. There's no explanation for it other than an angel. It was an angelic, something angelic happened because Stephanie had called out to the Lord and then all of a sudden we're on the other side of the road and we're, we're safe. It's one of those very, very, it's like one of those times where you, you just knew we're dead. And like, why does this car have a completely shattered window? It, it was just passing by. I, I, did to, I, I really believe there was an angelic move, but, move that happened. But again, Psalm 51 says, in the day of trouble, cry out to me. 
Don't cry out to someone who has a lot of money. Don't cry out to um, whoever else may have the, uh, the resources in the flesh. What's that? Oh, Psalm 50. Yeah, Psalm 50. Did I say Psalm 51? Psalm 50. Psalm 50, verse 15. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. So I'm going to close in prayer because I took it right up to 8.30. Um, but it just, um, just a blessing, just some of the things that we, um, that we went over tonight.